I invite you at home to read along with me. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is an exciting time in the world. If you're a sports fan, you have NBA playoffs, baseball playoffs coming, and NFL. And I still find it always odd that when you see a slam dunk, a home run, there's no cheering in the audience. NFL, there's a touchdown. It's still kind of quiet. And it's reminding us that worship was meant to be together. And even though we're virtually together and digitally together, we are still worshiping God, but we can't wait for the day that we could gather together in person and give God all the glory through song and praise and through the word and the sacraments. So I want to encourage you. hope you're doing well. And as we turn our hearts to this morning's word, would you follow along with me in Romans? We've been doing this series just kind of fell, falling into it. And if I could be candid with you, one of the reasons why I was compelled by Romans, there's a lot of angst in this world, a lot of hatred and bitterness. And when we look at the letter of Romans, we see that Christians of all people, we are the last to point fingers, to condescend. And so we'll talk about that and the reason why in today's message. So I wanted to start off with this question for you. Is there anyone in the world you would lay down your life for? Is there anyone in the world you would be willing to die for? Now, that's an awkward question, and it's not an easy question, but some of you are already thinking. Some of you are saying, I would give my life for my children, my parents, my family. I would give my life for my closest friends or the neighbor who I knew for 50 years. Some of you would say, and I've seen this. Some people would even lay their lives down for a stranger that just was in a need. In south side of Chicago, in Englewood, there was a group of moms that gathered together. They call it the Army of Moms. And they gathered together in this predominantly black neighborhood and said, this gun violence is killing our children. And so they formed this group, and they stood on the corners, 
just to be a mediator. And they stood in that gap to lay down their lives for the children of the neighborhood. A few weeks later, two women, two moms were actually killed due to gun violence. They were standing in the gap. Love is willing to lay down one's life for another. And these moms in Chicago did just that. And some of you who are parents or have close friends, you kind of can tell, I'd be, there's nothing I wouldn't do for so-and-so. But here's another question. Are there people you would never lay down your life for? Is there somebody you would never even come close to sacrificing anything, let alone your life? What if it's that coworker who stole your idea, got the promotion, got that bonus, and it was your idea that they stole of? What if it's uh, the father who walk, walked out on the family and abandoned them 30 years ago without any help? Would the family lay down their life for this man? Or what if it's a bully who's been harassing your child at school constantly? Would you think about laying down your life for that bully? I think about the police who, who murdered or who killed some innocent person either by accident or through other ego. Would we lay down our lives for them? Or would it be the very people who are shooting at our police officers? Like the incident in Compton recently. You know, when we think about these things, it's hard to say, yes, even them I would be willing to lay down my life for. And that's understood. That's human nature. Human nature, we don't offer ourselves to people who we think don't deserve it. And so this past year, just looking at 2020 with all the craziness, we as a nation seem to be, in my opinion, going down this dangerous road. And the road is this. We have become very good at dehumanizing blocks of people, demonizing blocks of people. And when we dehumanize and demonize people, what happens is our empathy and compassion and the love to lay down for another evaporates. And so Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, just posted this on Facebook. Perfect timing. He says, the demonization and dehumanization of the other side must stop. When professing Christians do it, it is triply wrong. And so why is it especially wrong if professing Christians dehumanize and demonize one another? Well, could you join me in looking at Romans 5? And I think it sheds light on that. So Romans 5, 1 through 5, Paul is giving us a summary. The gospel, he says, does more than, and we need to hear this in American Christianity, the gospel of Jesus Christ does more than give us a new destination. It's not that in Christ, I don't have to go to hell. No, I get to go to heaven. And that, in fact, is not a biblical idea. That's a pagan concept. The idea of the gospel is that it brings me to God, reconnects me in a restored relationship with the Father in heaven, makes me whole in the person I was meant to be, and it transforms me completely to who God had envisioned. Verse 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, declared righteous, uh, this, is, this is the gift that God's given us, 
We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand. Just think about that. Through Jesus, we have entered into this realm of God. And what does that look like? A scolding God, an angry God, a gracious God. And he says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Jesus did two things that are explicit here. The words obtained access in these verses in Greek means two things. When we say Jesus has given, obtained access for us, the Greek word has, the first meaning is, he's literally ushered us into the throne room of God. Isn't that beautiful? Um, Have you ever been to a wedding? And you know, after the wedding ceremony, you go to the reception hall and there's tables with with names and numbers, and it says Jason and Kathy Coe, table number four. Sometimes there'll be ushers who'll say, Mr. Coe, I'll take you to your table. It's a nice, nice little touch. And sometimes in church, a newcomer, as they come, and ushers go, hey, are you new? We're so glad to have you. Let me lead you to your seat so the newcomers don't feel weird and awkward. Ushering them, taking them, inviting them, saying, hey, they belong here. And what Jesus has done, according to Paul, he's ushered us into the presence of a royal king. That's so beautiful. That changes us. This broken, wretched sinners like us who are washed clean by his blood, clothed in Christ's righteousness, are now ushered before the presence of God. Grace, that just, just doesn't make any sense on the human side. That's why it's such a precious gift. But the second meaning of this word obtain access could also mean a harbor, as in a ship harbor. In the Palestinian days 2,000 years ago, the word sea implies turmoil and just craziness. And and 2020 is sea. (laughs) But the harbor that we have been invited into, that Jesus obtained for us, the harbor, the safe haven, is where ships can rest and dock in safety. What, what that implies, Paul is saying, if that's true, is we don't have to fight to earn God's love and favor anymore. We don't have to work towards religion to be accepted by God, and that can't be done anyway. Jesus paid the price that we couldn't pay and satisfy the wrath of God. And so in Christ, we are now in safe harbor. It's a beautiful picture especially for people who are filled with this angst and violence and just unease, and God has given us peace with Jesus. So Jesus pours out all these gifts to us, but there's more. It sounds like, you know, like an infomercial, but there is a lot more. According to Paul in this passage, he says, because Jesus allows God to pour his love into us and the Holy Spirit to dwell with us, He goes into this little segment, and how appropriate for us. He says, those who trust Jesus rejoice during suffering. Huh? Because faith is becoming more resilient. There's rejoicing in suffering. They don't pray away suffering. They don't say, I can't wait for 2021. But even in the midst of suffering, they rejoice. Why? Because their faith in the unchangeable, loving God is stronger. So some of you right now, either your faith is growing in this year because you're saying, God, 
have mercy. I have no control over my life. I trust you. Or some of you are falling away and saying, got to fight this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove that nothing's going to get me down, and we turn away from this need of God. We try to be our own God. Well, Paul goes on, that resilient faith, that endurance, those who trust in Jesus, because of that resilience, it forms their character. Character is doing the right thing over and over again. That ability to strengthen that goodness in our lives. And that resilience in character is being refined by the fire of suffering. And Paul says that character produces hope. So it's this circle that trust in God gives us faith in suffering, builds character, builds resilience, and then it goes back to hope in God. And so what is this hope? What is hope? What is hope for us, you and me, and for people in Rome suffering during this time? The hope, please hear me, the hope is not the end of the storms. Their hope is not that the storms will go away. Their hope is a person. It's not in a person. It is the person. Romans 5, 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In this, we have hope. What? We have this connection with God again. So when God is our hope, we will never be disappointed. And that's a promise of God. When your hope is in a perfect marriage, I promise you, you're going to be disappointed. If your hope is in a perfect career with wealth, even if you have all the money, I promise you, you will never be satisfied. But when our hope is God, God who is unchanging, our hope will never disappoint. And this is what Paul is saying. And so why is God worthy of my hope? Why is God my hope? And I love it because Paul hits it so hard in verses 6 through 11. Paul continues answering that question of why is God worthy of our hope by saying, you need to know what a God has done. In the beginning, I asked you, is there anyone in the world you would lay down your life for? Have you answered that yet? Maybe you could turn to people next to you and say, I, I died for you. I hope husbands and wives could say that to each other and children and family. But imagine from God's point of view. Just take a moment to answer that question from God's point of view. Is there anyone you'd be willing to die for God? And this is what God sees. People who have ignored him. People who've cursed him. People who've used his holy name as a curse word. People who give credit for all the beauty of this universe and say, it wasn't God of the Bible. It was science. It was just accident. People who've rejected God and started worshiping created things rather than the creator. This is what Paul was saying. And people who are willing to kill, mock, and just divide one another. God looks at that. So who is God willing to die for? You and I, we couldn't die for people who are cruel to us. But Paul answers this in Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the same time, right time, Christ died for the, could you say this word with me? Ungodly. See, religious people, good people, it's easy for Christ to say, I got to save them. 
But what Paul is saying here is Paul, Christ at the right time died for the ungodly. That's me. That's you. For one will scarcely die for the righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The emphasis, do you see Paul's making here is specifically that. Humans will die for people they care about. The list that you made, who are you willing to die for? And that's understood. But look what God has done. He died for the, your other list. The people you would never die for. And people who've done the same things to God. He was willing to send his only son. And Jesus was willing to die for those who mocked him. So it is sinners, the worst of, in the world... Every sinner, you and me, the very people who rejected God that Jesus already died for, as we read this today. And so it's fascinating. In a cancel culture, we have this moral superiority like, oh, you've messed up. You've sinned. You've stolen. You've cheated. We cancel you. And what we should be rejoicing is, thank God. Can we say amen to this? That God is not a cancel culture God. But Romans 5, 6 to 8 tells us God goes against that grain and comes after us because we're so blinded by our sin. What do we do with that? That, that love, that, that exhibition of God's incredible love, what do we do with that? We humbly, by trusting faith and surrender, say, thank you. I receive it. I'm sorry. And so this means that there is no one God is willing, unwilling to die for, even now. What this means is that if God doesn't dehumanize us while we were sinners, professing Christians, I'm talking to you and me, who are we to ever dehumanize anybody? Now, we have to fight for justice we have to do policies. We have to go through elections. But don't ever forget that the prime identity and the reason why we have this hope in the midst of suffering and pain is because God has shown this incredible love to broken people like you and me. And in that love, it doesn't just change our destination. It truly does transform us. So what if we finish the rest of 2020 this way? What if we prayed for the presidential candidates? What if we prayed for both those who are protesting Black Lives Matter and say, I hear you? And what if we hear those people who feel, hey, what about the police and all of that? There's no division. We are all one broken humanity. And what God is saying is, if I am humanizing you through sending my son, church, Rise up and bless and love and live in that tension and be someone who can see the image of God in everyone, whether they reciprocate it or not. And for us, continue on living in this peace that only comes with a trust in Jesus Christ. Let us love like God loves. What would that look like? To lay down our lives for our enemy. Let us be willing to lay down our lives for those who've slapped us. And so this is a story 
I heard from World War II and, and, and uh, when I was in youth group, and I shared this with you. Maybe I shared it with some of you before. But one day a pastor who was a former vet uh, was preaching, and he said, Jesus died for us, Jesus died for us. And some guy just stood up and said, you know what? That's nothing. My friend and I were in this foxhole, and a grenade was thrown in there. And he jumped on it and took his life to save me. Jesus didn't do that for me. And the pastor wisely let him shout. And he said, but here's what God has done. Would your friend ever die for the enemy? Would your friend ever die for the other side? And so that doesn't make sense to us. And that's because that's only the love that God could do by laying his life for his enemy. And so for us, this is why we rejoice and say, God, we praise your name. We were your enemies, and yet you considered us invited ones. You've ushered us in through Jesus Christ into your presence. How great is our God. Let's pray. Lord, we're going to just say what we see. We're in a divided time. And some would speculate it's social media or conspiracy, and they're trying to divide our country even more. Whether that's true or not, we are divided. And we come before you at the feet of Jesus Christ, the beauty of the good news, and we recognize there is no one righteous. There is no one more superior in morality than anyone else. We are all in need of your mercy. And so God, humble us, forgive us, and continue to renew us day by day because there needs to be your love shining through the church today to even the ones who we may think don't deserve it. Because God, you're a God who knew that we didn't definitely deserve your grace, but you gave it because of your incredible love for us. So as we face the sufferings and trials of this time, and as we hold to our faith as, as a child would, we know you're the God who is holding on to us in your arms. And so, Lord, continue to lead us with your love, and may that love flow out of us into everything we touch. In your name we pray. Amen.